Oh, thank you very much. You're very, you're very kind. That was very stressful. <laughs> we, we, did, we did that intentionally to sort of illustrate a point, really, in that, um, you know, as you can probably tell, singing harmonies comes very naturally to Jen. She does a sort of a four-part tight harmony singing group called the Ruby Dolls, and they're just amazing at just harmonizing. Whereas I'm kind of... I, I, I'm a singer-songwriter, so I'm mostly just the one person on stage often, just singing, singing the lead line. And so trying to sing harmonies is a bit of a nightmare for me. <laughs> I don't really enjoy it. But, but Jen, bless her, has you know, spent a lifetime. And, and it's gorgeous, it's brilliant having Libby lead us so beautifully this, this evening. But Jen's had a lifetime of walking into churches and people hearing her voice and going, oh, isn't that great? Oh, you can sing backing vocals. Um, as opposed to Jen's passionate about leading. Uh, actually leading, and, and so there's, there is something in the dynamic, the male-female dynamic sometimes, especially in churches, whereby actually sometimes as men we have to do the hard yards, we'd prefer to be the lead voice, wouldn't we, and have somebody nice supporting us, but actually there's sometimes when we have to step back for there to be true harmony, to step back and maybe do the hard yards of working out how do we do the supporting thing and the less prominent thing and allow somebody else to step forward into you know, what they're really good at. And so that keeping in tune thing doesn't happen naturally. It actually takes hard work, and that's what we're wanting to share about tonight. Let's go straight to the passage. Verse 15 says this, so thanks so much for the reading of it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Increasingly, that's what we do, and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. This is just not something that happens, you know, by default, by just sitting and waiting for the stuff to land on us. We have to make intentional decisions. It's a call to instruct and talk to one another using good common sense. There's a presumption that we will be different, that we will need to challenge. And the word used in the older translations is admonish one another. Nobody's very into admonishing these days, you may have noticed in culture. It's not a very cool thing because like, why, why would you impose your morality on me? But we're called, there's a presumption of difference. And if, if, if the, the whole experience of trying to sing in harmony is useless without difference, there's, you can't do harmony by just singing the same note. <laughs> Yet increasingly, that's what culture is often trying to do to us. The letter to Colossians was written into the context of the Roman Empire. Of an empire. Empires try to create uniformity where everybody thinks and does the same thing. Everybody has to say Caesar is Lord. By, by power, empires create uniformity, whereas the kingdom is about diversity. And so everybody was being forced into singing the one note, thinking the same thing. Yet today we can think, oh, that's, not just, hist that's just history. But today we live in the context of an empire that is often trying to force us to think the same thing, that trying to create uniformity, not unity. But we truly believe unity as Christians in the kingdom comes through diversity. And we have so much to learn from thinking about how we sing with one another, thinking about having to drop the volume so somebody else can step forward, thinking about how we need to learn our own part. We have to put in the hard yards of personal practice so that when we come to play our part in the orchestra, we've got something strong and good to bring. We've also got to know what concert pitch is. Do you know the idea of concert pitch? 440 hertz, air, oscillating at that frequency produces an A. 
And without everybody working off the same notes, then trying to sing in harmony is a disaster zone. You've got to agree what key you're in. You've got to agree what an A is. And so we have this privilege, as the verses say, doing everything in the name of the master. That's speaking with his authority. We're doing it under his ultimate authority. Harmony, reconciliation, is impossible without an ultimate authority. And that's why our world's in the mess that it's in, because it's trying to do interaction between different competing people groups and competing interests without reference to an ultimate authority. Unless you know what 440 hertz is, you can't do that. It just doesn't work. And in case you think, Andy, you're going mad, you're, you're, you're creating demons that aren't actually there, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine called Bob, who, not this Bob, but he was on a transatlantic flight, sat beside this guy who was drinking a lot of whiskey, and he was getting more and more tired. And then they actually had to, they arrived on the east coast of America. And they also then had to get a connecting flight, the same flight, over to the west coast of America. And as they started the second flight, this guy was getting a little bit drunk and a little bit really tired. And so Bob thought, well, we haven't spoken to each other. He sort of drummed up the courage to turn around to this guy and say, well, you know what? What do you do? And the guy said, in a moment of weakness, because of his state, he said, oh, I break up families for a living. And Bob was like, what, are you joking? He said, yeah, I break up families for a living. And Bob said, well, what, what, what do you do? He said, I'm in marketing. I, under the, I understand the science of how this works. If you make people feel lonely and isolated, if you bombard them with images that make them feel unloved and, and not as snazzy and not as well off and not as beautiful as other people, you can isolate them. I try to split up families. As soon as you isolate people, as soon as you make people feel lonely and vulnerable, that's when they spend money. And what are we told in Colossians? Cultivate thankfulness. It's very hard to sell stuff to people who are thankful. It's very hard to exploit people online who are thankful. It's much, much harder. Yet we are allowing a culture, an empire that wants us all to think the same thing and wants to drive us towards autonomy, individualization, where we're all singing the same note with our ear pods in, watching screens, rather than finding and meeting people in the real world, in the diversity, and singing some different notes and finding harmony together. It's a scary state of affairs. I've kind of received a letter earlier on today. I hope you don't mind me reading it to you. This is Second Colossians. It just arrived on my door. I don't know where it came from, really. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And in the name of all that is holy, can you get off your phones? It's been 2,000 years since I last wrote to you. So I've had to bend a few rules, but I couldn't stop myself. I've never seen anything like this before. If you don't get off your screens, all this talk about peace and love and unity and good ordering of the household stuff is pure fantasy. As I said 2,000 years ago, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. I'm not sure you realize how much you're being manipulated and isolated by the prevailing empire. You think you're taking control, but you're actually giving it away. It's time to stop listening on your own and time to sing together. I hope I don't have to write to you a third time. Jan. So this passage starts 
by telling us that we need to put energy and attention into our relationships and into our shared life, that this is not something which is just going to happen, something that we need to bring intentionality to. And then, of course, there are those famous verses that a lot of us like to ignore from verse 18 onwards, where it breaks it down into really specific commands to wives to submit to their husbands, to children to obey their parents, to slaves to obey their masters. And those things feel really hard for us to read in our modern culture. And I know lots of people who just like to ignore these passages in scripture. But I obviously don't want us to do that this evening. I want us to pay attention. But to do that, we have to do some work. And we have to be able to be prepared to ask some difficult questions of the passage. Because we need to know it is Paul telling us that the way that the Roman household is set up, that he's speaking into, is he telling us that that is how we are to order our Christian families? Or is he doing something else? And if so, what is it? What is Paul saying about marriage? And, and perhaps more crucially, does this passage have anything to say to anyone who is um, over 18, not married, and not a slave or a slave owner, which I'm guessing is quite a lot of us in this room? What does it mean for our actual relationships that we have here and now? So I want us to start with understanding a little bit about the system and the context that Paul is writing into. So he's writing into something called the paterfamilias, which some of you will, I'm sure, have heard the term before. It describes the household in the Roman Empire. So in Rome and basically all the places like Colossae that Rome conquered and occupied and enforced their way of life. This was the enforced way of life, how society was structured. And the whole thing is based on an empire. You know, Caesar is Lord, uh, deserves all allegiance, must never be questioned, great, glorious, destined to rule. Um, everyone needs Caesar's leadership. We must never, ever question the emperor. And then the household was supposed to be like a microcosm of that, like a smaller version. Uh, and the man, as the head of the household, had authority over everyone in the household and must never be challenged, just as the emperor has authority and must never be challenged. Hopefully, there are some alarm bells ringing in your head in terms of what that might mean for us. And this is one of a few passages that Paul writes specifically about this household structure. And a lot of people have agonized over them, and a lot of theologians have written, and I'm not going to do full justice to the passage. So let's just think about three or four things that maybe can help us to take something from this and make some sense of it for where we are today. So one, this is written to a specific context, a specific historical context. And really, it's specific advice as advice saying to them, given that you currently live in this hierarchy and this system and this culture. Here is how to live in it honorably and be led by the spirit in it and even start to reimagine some of it being led by the spirit. And maybe there's a challenge to us in looking at the structures of our homes and our households and our relationships and our families, so much of which we just receive passively from the world around us. What does it mean? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit about what it really means to live honorably within that, to reimagine some of those relationships, to think about them a bit differently? Secondly, this was a public letter. So Paul sometimes writes private letters, sometimes writes public letters. Public letters are read aloud to the whole church, quite wide community. And 
the Romans have an ear to the public letters. The church is under massive scrutiny because the Romans are paranoid that the church is completely subversive and wants to overthrow the empire. So if there's anything that sounds like revolution in the public letters, the Romans are going to be panicking and shutting things down, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. Interestingly, Philemon is another letter that Paul wrote, but a private one. And he speaks quite differently about slavery in that letter which suggests that when we're looking at a public letter, we need to remember that the Romans are listening in, that it's, it's under a lot of public scrutiny and some things are not going to be said openly. Third, uh, this is a passage about domestic arrangements, about households. And there are other passages in scripture which I'm going to suggest are maybe more central to our faith. And that maybe passages which are really practical like this need to get read in light of the things that we know to be huge and important and foundational in who God is and what it means to follow Jesus. And they might be things like the fact that God is love. Paul talks repeatedly about how God is love and that love holds all of our relationships in place. Radical, self-giving love. Also, Paul talks famously in Galatians and says, there is now no Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our faith is the ultimate leveler in terms of a kind of radical equality of you know, access to God, relationship with Jesus, participation in the body of Christ. And related to that, you know, the prophet Joel foretold that when the spirit was going to be poured out, it was going to be poured out on everyone, not just men, not just non-slaves, not just Jews. Uh, so we hold all of these realities and these truths as our bedrock and foundation when we come to a passage like this. And even in the question of marriage, um, for those of you for whom that is relevant, Paul writes much more about marriage in other passages, actually. And when he spends longer talking about marriage, he introduces this idea of kind of radical mutuality in the relationship, which would have been a kind of astonishing thing um, in the context this was written. And perhaps the last thing I'll say related to that is that it's very hard for us to appreciate what the letter would have sounded like in the original context. And theologians have done more work on this than I have. But there are things that we should maybe appreciate were really explosive and extraordinary and really radical, which maybe we miss nowadays. Things like the fact that Paul addresses wives and children and slaves directly as if they had a mind of their own as if they had moral agency, as if they have a choice about their submission. And that itself would have been completely extraordinary and unexpected. The fact that a Roman father, who basically in this system had power to use and abuse all subordinates, however he wanted, including sexually, was being told to love and care for his wife was really extraordinary. So Paul isn't tearing down the structure in a really overt way and a number of theologians have written how what Paul does instead really is he plants seeds someone's even said about how he plants like a depth charge like an explosion that's going to come off that if we really take seriously this teaching really sit with it really hold with it it's going to mean a kind of overhaul and a transformation of so many of these systems and structures that we take for granted um and yeah, I guess so. I want to bring us back to that challenge about how much do we receive and absorb 
what it means to be in relationship, be in friendship, how we organize our families, our households from the culture around us. And how much do we allow, like Paul is trying to do here, the Spirit of God to prompt us and challenge us to do more, to love more radically, to invest more sacrificially uh, in all of our relationships rather than just going with the flow. Brilliant. Thanks, darling. I, I thought at this moment it would be good for some light relief to actually get you guys to, you know, we want this to be about not being just, you know, solo consumers. We want to be singing together. So we thought it would be good to actually sing, intentionally sing some harmony together. But Jen, being the expert at that, she's, she's, she's going she's gonna to lead us now. Are you ready? Are you up for a bit of audience participation? Splendid. It's going to be very straightforward. 30% of us are. Nothing, nothing, you know, too taxing. I'm sure it'll be very easy for many of you. So I'm going to divide you in three. So, you know, basically I'm going to divide roughly down the middle here. You are group one. And I'd like you to sing this note. Love. Great, just get that in your head. Great. So from the middle here to the middle of the here, we're going to sing this note. Love. You can keep that one going as well. So we've got love. Oh, nice. And this over here, you might be able to predict what we're going to sing. Some volume, give us a volume, take a breath. Beautiful. I'll try Beautiful. a different note if you fancy it. <laughs> if you're feeling bold, something that fits, maybe. No, I'm terrible, I'm terrible at it. No. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to take it up a level? It? Yeah, take okay. it up a level. Okay, we're going to switch it up. So, you guys are going to stay on. La. You guys are going to stay on. But you guys in the middle are gonna are gonna come down a semitone. La 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 la. Give us a volume. Give us a volume. Oh yeah. And are you listening? Are you listening to each other? Are you hearing it? Oh, that was beautiful. Give yourselves a round of applause. Beautiful. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. It was a, uh, you know, you've probably spotted that was a major chord and then a minor chord that you were singing there. And so you've got, you've got an agreement about where you're going. This is a missional journey. There's a reason why this harmony matters. It's not just so we can all hang out together and things will be nice between us. This is about us representing who God is to the world. God is a God of harmony. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is a team. This is about us being on the same team. That's another reason that it's important to think about harmony because unless you're singing the same song, unless you're singing the same chord, unless you've decided to go in the same direction missionally, then none of this really makes sense. This is a missional, this is about representing, as we go right back to the first chapter of Colossians that we looked at, being his image bearers to the world. And if God is a God innately of relationship, because he's a God of relationships, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then in doing harmony, we are representing him to the world. We're saying this is, this is how you live. This is how you live best. This is how it works in representing that difference coming together. And it's just, just worth saying a last couple of things about that difference, because it's actually very hard in a, in a culture that's trying to drive us towards uniformity. We have to be, celebrate difference. Sometimes we have to say that, you know, like, for example, men and women are more 
similar, then they are different. But also, they are different. There is, there is difference. There is difference in bio biology, and there's difference in psychology that actually flows and interacts one with the other. There is difference. I'm just looking at my notes. You know, it's... I would say, what well, we've been talking about leadership and the different roles and the different things that people bring. Let's not redefine genders. Let's redefine leadership. Because leadership might look different. Are you going to take it? You probably might want to go away and think about that afterwards rather than just let that depth charge you now. But well, what does leadership look like? Have we imagined it to look more from one gender than the other? You know, wouldn't it be amazing if history had had a little bit less sort of male ego leadership over the course of the last sort of three millennia. Maybe a lot less. A bit less, yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, so maybe, maybe, maybe let's redefine gender less and maybe let's redefine leadership a little bit more. And to think about all of these thorny issues in and around our culture, I think you can't really discuss them all without realizing what is being said in Colossians here, that this is gift of God that actually you can't really talk about this stuff until you have a discussion about whether or not life is a right to be fought for or if it's a gift to be received, whether or not a partner for life is a right to be fought for or a gift to be received, whether or not sex is a gift to be received or a right to be fought for, whether a baby is a gift to be received or a right to be fought for. These are these are crucial questions, and they are huge questions, but unless we realize the sort of fundamental underlying principles of the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the gift-giving, nurturing, interacting, relating God, then we kind of can lose our way in, the, in the, the intensity of the wind of empire trying to make us think in a uniform way and all sing the same note. So my challenge tonight is are there some intentional rhythms? Is there some intentional practicing that we need to do one with another so that we are able to sing a different note to somebody else? Do we have the nerve to sing a different note to somebody else? And actually, eventually, it might be really hard at the start and it might make us like slightly unpopular, but eventually there might be gorgeous harmony. Do we have the nerve to do that? So, like, can you ask the intentional questions of one another? Are you getting together regularly with somebody to be accountable? Are you asking questions of one another? Not just getting together for coffee just to hang out and see how each other are doing, but are asking each other, so how can I help you grow to be more like Jesus? When was the last time you had a coffee and you asked somebody that? How can I help you grow to become more like Jesus? Because we are kidding ourselves if we think that life is about anything that anything in life is more important than that. When was the last time you had that conversation? When was the last time you put in this intentional time to get to know people? Because it doesn't happen by default. If, it, if we allow it to go to default, we just get blown by the wind of empire and we end up just watching a screen, just listening to ear pods. We will be on our own. You've got to do intentional stuff week by week in relationship accountably. And it doesn't happen sitting in a big crowd like this. It'll happen in ones and twos and fives and sevens. So I challenge you to find those people and get with them and make that a lifelong journey. So doing a talk together, that's unusual, right? <laughs> there aren't very many, <laughs> there are many talks done by two people. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's much harder. Uh, <laughs> Doing a talk with somebody else is way harder than doing a talk on your own. 
And so why are we here doing that? I can't say, to be honest, how much that's my personality. Andy, I think, is more naturally collaborative than I am. I would prefer to just lock myself in a room and, like, just do my thinking and do my praying and do my organising and, you know, write my talk together. So why are we here? Well, we do sometimes teach together. And, and it's for two reasons. One is that, hopefully, what you get, then, is richer because you have two people's experiences and perspectives. And maybe you relate to one of us more than the other or something one says more than the other. But it's more likely to have more to offer from two of us. And perhaps that feels especially important with this passage because it's one that isn't just about marriage, although that's part of it, but one which speaks about what it means to be in relationship in the body of Christ and the work that we have to do actively to keep in step with one another. And, and as Annie says, the, not, the goal isn't so that we're going to end up thinking exactly the same things about everything or being the same person. Of, of course not. But that we need to realize how crucial it is to work, to share life and mission and discipleship, that those are not solo activities. The life of a Christian is not just me and Jesus. Sometimes it would be lovely if it was, and a lot less complicated and a lot easier. The fact that you're here in church, though, suggests that, you know, that we get that, that there's something collective that matters. But it's a challenge to do that and to keep valuing that over our own independence because we're called to be interdependent, to need each other. And I guess that's the second reason that we sometimes teach together because it's good for us. And it's good for our relationship. <laughs> we have to learn to submit to one another as we plan. We have to let go of control because the, what Andy says is not what I would script for him. And what I'm saying is not what he would script for me. <laughs> so there's an element of needing to, to let go of control in order to collaborate, to let one another lead at different points, to find that harmony where we will teach different things but... Hopefully, through the Holy Spirit, it holds together. And that kind of submission where we choose to let someone else lead, isn't, it's not a passive thing. Submission can sometimes be a, a kind of switching off, like a fine, I'll let somebody else do that, it's easier, and I'll just switch off and let my brain go somewhere else. Our marriage is not at its best when I submit in that way, when I kind of check out. <laughs> really not. <laughs> But when, when we choose to let one another lead, but we still stay invested, even though it's awkward and it means negotiating, and also recognizing that we just think differently about some things. We are challenged to collaborate rather than do our own thing. And it's less efficient as well. Thankfully, Jesus did not say, seek first the kingdom and do it in the most efficient way. Because to do it with other people is not the most efficient way. But instead... He asked us to do it together as a body, as a messy, broken, complicated, uh, looks like a bit of a mess to the outside world sometimes, group. And that is, that is our challenge. So we're going to come together for communion in a moment. I love communion. Partly for, because for me it's a way of saying, do you know what? I belong to something bigger than myself. This story existed before me. It's going to exist after me. And I belong to it. And I belong also to this group of people who also relate to this story, this community in all of its beauty and brokenness. 
So perhaps as we come to communion together, we can ask, Holy Spirit, would you show me the ways that I am just trying to do this on my own, individually in my own way? Show me what I need to do to choose to be in tune with your family, to opt in, to participate actively in this family, in this community. And let's let the Holy Spirit challenge us and speak to us and spark our imaginations about what that might mean.